0: Welcome again to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. It's great to be with you. Hey, kids, if you're there and you belong to Jville Pres Prez Kids Closed Private Facebook group or parents, you're going to get them signed up to that right now. This is your moment to go out there and go to Jumpstart Home Edition. Uh, love for you to do that, and uh, also grab your Bibles at this moment and turn to John's Gospel, chapter thirteen. And I'm going to be reading the first seventeen verses, uh, John thirteen verses one through seventeen. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper. When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, it's great to be with you. I'm Richard. I get to be the associate pastor here at the church. And uh, as many of you know, our church has been going through the gospel of John since uh, the latter half of last year. And uh, it's been a great deep dive into God's word. And as we get to chapter 13, if you were able to join us on Monday, Thursday, you might be thinking, uh, hasn't Richard already talked to us about this passage? And you're right, but we're going to go uh, even deeper uh, this morning. And at the time on Monday, Thursday, I suggested that you made some notes of what perhaps the Holy Spirit was saying to you during those times. So it'd be quite fun if you can pull those notes out, if they happen to be in your Bible, and see if uh, the Lord was saying similar things to you and to me on that occasion. Remember, this is taking place in the upper room. Jesus is spending time with the 12 disciples, those men He has poured the last three years of his life into. And now they're going to share a very special meal time together. It's the same night you will remember where Jesus is betrayed, He is arrested. He is tried, he is found guilty, even though he is innocent, and he is abandoned by all 12 of his disciples. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's uh, look at this passage of the Last Supper, of the time in the upper room, of washing the disciples' feet, because that Passover meal didn't just change those lives, it changes lives still today. Running through this passage along with the whole of Scripture is the theme of God's love in so many ways. We will see a practical outpouring of the cost of that love and the reality of what it is in our lives today. It's interactive, it's costly, it's self-giving, and it is humble. Now, If you're thinking, oh no, this is going to be a message and it's going to be soppy about love and it's going to be soft and uh, that kind of thing, it's exactly the opposite. The picture we gain here of, of, of humility is strong. It is a strong, deep love. Hence the title of the message today. If you're taking notes, it's called Humble Love. You will have seen it on the screen behind me. Uh, right now and throughout our worship service today. As I say, the love that is described here is humility itself, and Jesus exemplifies it in washing his disciples' feet. Now, John, who remember was there that night, begins in verse 1 by giving us kind of a a recap and a look forward to what is going to happen, not just in the events of that night, but the events of the day's To come, But I don't know about you, but when you're watching something on Netflix, perhaps a a TV series, and they do the recap at the beginning of the next episode, you might be tempted to press the skip intro button. Well, we'd be uh, on dangerous ground if we skipped over verse 1 here, because it teaches us a lot. So let's dive into verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John, again, uh, sets the scene for us. He sets uh, very much uh, the fact that this is a Passover time. This is a Passover meal that they're sharing together. And Jesus, of course, would be revealed as the true Passover lamb that would have his life sacrificed for us, that his blood shed would mean that we would not experience death, that we would have the angel of death pass over us in the same way as the uh, Israelites did in Egypt, as they took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. But this doesn't mean that we don't taste physical death. It simply means that our life continues into eternity with the Lord, that we become citizens of the kingdom. If you were here on Wednesday night, you will have heard a lot about that, about being citizens. And this is the same thing that we're thinking about here. Is that a reality in your lives? That's the question I want us to ponder for just a moment. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is that forefront of your thoughts, of your meditations, of your uh, devotional time, And if you're not a believer, what does that mean to you? What does that even look like? What does that sound like? And as we go through this passage, we're going to see that as we think about God's love for us, what does that look like? Jesus knew that his hour was come. Now is the time that he has known was coming. He had come to save and what he had to do to save people. Jesus himself states in Luke uh, 19.10 that this was the whole purpose. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It also meant that Jesus would die a horrific death. Crucifixion, the worst death, the greatest torture. But he would be with his father. This was the process by which he would leave this world and go to be with the Father. Now, of course, we know he raised from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He's still alive and waiting to return. But it is also the time when he would face separation from the Father for the very first time. The exact thing he had come to save us from so that we could be reunited with the Father, no longer separated for me, realizing this and meditating on the fact that in many ways, Jesus was more burdened about the pain of separation from God the Father than he was about the pain he was going to suffer in crucifixion. It really puts it clear that reconciliation with, the, with God the Father is the most important thing. It is vital. Not only that we want it for ourselves, that we can receive it through the gift of Christ and our trust and faith in him, but that we would want it for other people as well. Which are you more concerned about? Physical death or spiritual death? Jesus also felt separation uh, from his beloved disciples. He was gonna have to leave them for a while. And some suggest that when it says that he loved them to the end, it was to the end of his physical life here on, on earth. Others say it was to the end of the age, as he talks about at the end of Matthew's gospel. I'd like to suggest another uh, reason, another uh, definition of to the end is the fact that he loved them to the nth degree. He loved them more than anybody could ever love them. He loves us more than anybody could ever love any one of us. His very end, the very purpose is to love those who God the Father gives to him. How does Jesus love you? How do you view his love for you? I believe in order to really get to the, the depths of that question, to really look at the answer to that question, we need to think about those who Jesus loved in that room 2,000 years ago. And in the next verse, we look at Judas. Judas had already been led to betray, to arrange to betray Jesus, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And here we see a comparison between Judas's self-seeking and Jesus' self-giving. We know from verse 11, which we will look at in just a few moments, that Jesus knew this was going to happen. This was no surprise to him. When he said, not all of you are clean, he was referring to Judas, the one who would betray him. Jesus knows who truly loves him. He knows who has been washed in his blood. The shepherd knows his flock, to use another analogy, and the sheep recognize his voice. We, as his sheep, recognize Jesus' voice. We will follow him when he calls, when we wander off so often as sheep really, really do. If any of you have ever gone to Wales, you will have seen lots and lots and lots of sheep. And uh, if you're driving around, often you'll see them in the middle of the road because they wander off from the flock. And you can beep your horn, you can try to drive at them and they will not move. But if a a shepherd calls them, they will. They will. And sometimes we can feel very much like that as well. Perhaps especially at the moment we're seeking that voice to follow in this time of the virus where we can't gather together, where we can't have that kind of personal, physical fellowship with one another. We need to feel God's everlasting love, a love that is costly and is undeserved So what about the others in the room that night? Did they deserve Jesus' love? Were they the cream of society? Were they the best behaved? Were they the religious temple-going type that others looked up to? No, the disciples were a bunch of ragtag fishermen, accountants, and uh, card-carrying revolutionaries. And then what about other followers, those outside of the 12, those on the fringes, perhaps, that followed Jesus? Well, we can think of Nicodemus that we've seen uh, a few times already in John's Gospel, and we'll see him again in a few weeks in chapter 19. Perhaps he isn't 100% convinced yet. He's not quite a believer, but he's, he's getting more and more convinced. Those are the type of people that Jesus is reaching out to that, is loving, uh, responding to him, hearing the call. Now, I'm not implying for one moment that Jesus didn't love everybody that he came into contact with. Even when he has uh, interactions with the religious authorities and perhaps says things that we seem to feel we think they're a little bit harsh, what he's really doing is still loving them. He's lovingly pointing them to the truth of the gospel. The same call is going out for them to respond to him, to see him for who he is and to turn back to God the Father. But we know many are called, but few are chosen. Now, does this give us an excuse to give up on people that we think, well, they haven't received the call? No, it does not, because Jesus doesn't give up on anybody and we shouldn't give up on anybody either. God is the only one that truly knows the heart. But at the same time, he has made it very, very clear that it is only through his grace that any of us are saved. John goes on now to record one of the most powerful and meaningful examples and the outpouring of Jesus' love in the whole of the gospel, the act of uh, washing his disciples' feet, second only perhaps to his death upon the cross, and just that example, that physical reaching out, and this shows us how we're to love other people. But it's more than an example. Dare I say, dare I suggest, it's more of a, a directive, an imperative part of being a disciple, being a Christian. We heard in our call to worship that we're to walk humbly with our God. On a night when Jesus will also give the disciples a very clear commandment to love one another as I have loved You Surely the washing of feet was still very much in their minds when Jesus speaks these words later in this same chapter. But let's get back to our passage, verses 3 to 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. On Monday, Thursday, we were challenged to think about how we could metaphorically be washing one another's feet during this time when we can't be physically together as much. Over the past few weeks, if you're anything like me, you've got used to Zoom Phone calls, text messages, emails, postcards, walking just one way around the grocery store, six feet away from other people, while doing grocery shopping for others. And again, if you're anything like me, you've been praying like never before. Again, I'm thankful to the volunteers and the leaders of our church that have been keeping connected with our church family. And if anyone hasn't been contacted in that way, uh, please email me. We don't want anyone falling through the cracks. We want to be able to actively love you, wash your feet, metaphorically as it were, during this time. And hopefully soon, we'll be back together. And while all those things are important, all those methods of communication, of fellowship, in this way are important. I want to encourage you to continue with them. Today, I believe we can see from our passage that it is the motives behind such connection, the motives behind washing other people's feet that are as important, if not more important. There is a famous quote that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I would tell you who said that, but every time you Google it, you get a different answer. And I did check uh, the top Google answer apparently is C.S. Lewis. It's definitely not a Lewis quote. It might be Rick Warren. It might be someone else. But nevertheless, it serves the purpose. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Jesus really is humble here. And he shows what humility looks like as he washes his disciples' feet he takes the role of a slave. The lowest person in any household would be given the job of washing people's feet. People didn't wash each other's feet. They did not wash their own feet, but it was the lowest job for the lowest person in the house. And yet Jesus, the son of God, does exactly that for his disciples. As he does so, you can only, almost imagine the shock of the disciples. What's going on? They're silenced by this until we get to Peter. Peter, as I like to call him, the mouthy one, says something. In fact, it's about the only, uh, other than, um, in fact, he, he nearly always says something. Famously, to the next night, he would say the wrong thing. <laughs> And we'll get to Peter in a minute. But I want us to move on and look at four points. I've got four points today all about humble love. And the first is that no task is to be beneath us. In humble love, no task is to be beneath us. I read a story uh, this week of a young pastor who arrived in his first uh, first church as pastor and he gets a call from a church member and he needs to go and visit this church member because they're in a, a bad way. They can't come to see him and he goes to the house and when he gets there, he discovers just how uh, bad they are. They are very, very ill. The house is in a complete mess. There's vomit all over the floor. This person is very, very sick, dehydrated, that kind of thing. And so he learns very quickly before he can help this person uh, pastorally by praying with them, by reading scripture with them, all the things he learned in seminary, he needs to mop up the vomit. He needs to tidy the house. He has to meet their physical needs. What a welcome to ministry. Now, I'm not implying that the first job of any pastor is to uh, clear up vomit. I must have missed that class in theological college. But it really is necessary to see people's needs, all of their needs, uh, as well as their spiritual need. I'll always remember that uh, my parents said when it to, came to choosing a profession when I was very young, they said I could choose anything. They would support me whether I wanted to be a brain surgeon or sweep the roads. They randomly picked uh, two seemingly very different uh, and very far opposed uh, positions. I've not done any brain surgery, although I have sweeped, uh, or swept a few roads over the years. But I think what they were getting at, not only did they want to support me as their child, but they'd learned the lesson that Jesus uh, gives us, that we are to do whatever we do humbly and unto the Lord. We read uh, Paul's words in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Having this kind of attitude will go a long way to seeing that no task is beneath us and that everything we do importantly needs to be done for the glory of God. Well, the second thing about humble love that we learn is that we are to think of others more highly than ourselves, to think of others more highly than ourselves. It needs to be re- true regardless of any position that we think we have or that society wants to give us. Um, you know, if Jesus, again, God the Son, is prepared to bow down and wash the feet of his disciples, then we should be prepared to think of other people more highly uh, than ourselves. Take a look down to verses 12 to 17. Yes, I'm going to skip over Peter again. We will get back to him, I promise. Verses 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If we're honest, far too often we look down at somebody else because of their social um, position or uh, their economic status, even their ethnicity, And there's a real danger here that we're just one step away from being racist or being elitist. And we're going completely against the gospel when we have that kind of attitude. We're to view others as God views them, as his creation. As we've already said and thought, we don't deserve God's love. It's his gift to us. We don't earn it and yet we enjoy it, we revel in it, and we serve out of humble hearts from the love he gives to us. And we should want the same for other people as well. I did, however, uh, thinking back this week, I did face a time in my first group of churches back in Wales where the the few of the elders of the church were looking down very much on one of the church members, even making demeaning comments about this lady who I found to be a lovely Christian woman. Now she did have her particular unique style about her and the way that she thought and said things, but she served the Lord in a very uh, passionate way. She, she put the water in the pulpit every week. I may have told some of you this before, a lovely Irish lady named Edna, and yet even these elders thought that the, the, the task that she undertook was so lowly that it wasn't really meaningful. And it was below them to do that kind of a, a thing. And yet Edna saw it as washing people's feet. She saw it as serving the Lord and doing it to his glory. And I have to say, I was very grateful every Sunday when I found that glass of water there ready for me. Again, this idea of serving others, of following Jesus' example, not for any glory of our own or even the blessings that surely will come, but because we want to humbly love others because God has loved us. The third area of humble love is to focus on the needs of others, focus on the needs of others. The need can be the physical need dirty feet that need washing, dirty hands these days perhaps, vomit that needs clearing up off the floor, groceries that need buying and delivering, people who need praying for, phone calls that need to be made, dishes that need to be washed, kind words that need to be spoken, smiles that need to be given, bills that need to be paid, whatever those physical needs are. So many that need to be met And we can do these things. We can focus on those needs and realize that we're being called to do that by the Lord, to humbly serve others by seeing their needs. But it's not just the physical needs that will be met or physical service that will be rendered. There are emotional needs for others. I'm sure you've noticed, as I have done, that during this time of the coronavirus, people are far more ready to talk about their their needs, not just their physical needs, but their emotional needs. And yes, even their spiritual needs as well. I saw a, a great quote recently that said, you know, you usually hear we're all in the same boat. Well, I heard a better one. We're all in the same storm and we're all in different boats. But we have this common ground, if you like, perhaps uniquely at this moment. And to grasp this moment where people are seeing their need, not only for fellowship, not only for one another, but I would dare to suggest their need of the Lord as well. The hope that only Christ can bring is more acutely obvious today than it has been perhaps for a while. So the greatest need that we can point people to is their need of Jesus. The washing of the disciples' feet in many ways is an enacted parable, the physical act of humble love. The disciples were working in and walking in the world. Their feet were naturally getting dirty because they wore open sandals, so their feet needed washing. But again, there's a deeper meaning here that they were in the world, but not to be Of the world today, as we experience the same thing as we walk around, sin attaches itself to us, and we need this to be washed every day. There is that deeper need that deeper need that we need to focus on in ourselves and in others the need for forgiveness and repentance. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been able to talk to a number of our missionaries. You'll see those videos go out on Fridays. And uh, I was speaking to Dave and Marina Joe in Honduras recently. And spoiler alert if you haven't seen Dave and Marina Joe's video yet, and it hasn't gone out yet, so you probably haven't, um, I want to share one of the stories that uh, Marina Joe sh- uh, shared with me. She works in the eye clinic. And of course, they're working on people's sight. But it's not just their physical sight. She told me that a number of people who have come, even those that they haven't been able to help uh, with their physical sight, have received their spiritual sight. Because the missionaries are always about sharing Jesus, about pointing people to him. And they're having their eyes opened to the love of God for them. Now, all of this is to ask the question that the need for cleansing from sin, is it a reality in our lives or do we simply confess and then not really repent? Do we tick it off the list, say, I did this wrong, I'm sorry, move on and do it again the next day. Now, I'm not saying we don't fail and fall into the same traps, but to actively want, and need to repent is really important. Now, this leads us to our final point about humble love, and it takes us back to the example of Peter. See, I promise we get to Peter eventually. Verses 6 to 11. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was gonna betray him. That was why he said, not all of you, are clean. So our fourth point, number four, humble love involves receiving, not just giving. Humble love involves receiving, not just giving. Now, we also know elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus uh, is quoted as saying, it's better to give than receive. However, if we do not receive from Jesus, how can we then give to others? How can we pour into the lives of other people. So I've got a little experiment for you here, or a little illustration, should I say. And I apologize if you've seen this one before, but uh, don't worry, I'm not washing anybody's feet. Uh, The tech crew are getting a little bit nervous over there. But I just wanted to show you, if you can imagine that this is us, say we're a bit like an empty glass, and then God's love is poured into us, and it fills us up. But does it just stay like that? Do we feel full all the time? No, we don't. Sometimes we feel empty again. But the joy is that God's love doesn't run out, so he pours into us again. But he doesn't stop when he gets to, to, to us being full. He actually continues on. And why does he do that? He does that so that we can pour into the lives of other people. So as God pours into you, remember why he's doing that. He's doing that so that you can pour into the lives of others around you. As people can see you being filled up To overflowing. Now there are times, as I say, when we feel empty. That's when we turn to the Lord, and we turn to those around us, and God pours in through them, as well. Also, we need to allow others to serve us, to bless us, to pour into us. So often, uh, particularly towards the end of people's lives, I spent time with people, and they've said you know, they don't feel that they're doing anything active to to love other people, and people are having to look after them, perhaps particularly if they've been people who have looked after others their whole lives. And I have one thing that I always share amongst many others, Well, one thing is that perhaps this is a time to allow other people to bless them, to pour into their lives, to use this passage, to wash their feet so that it would be a blessing that God is pouring through that person into that, per, that other person's life. So bear this in mind. Now, just like Peter had had his feet washed by the Lord, we need our feet washed by him. We need to be forgiven. We need to be washed in his blood that was shed for us upon the cross. And we need to live his resurrected life now. Now, that doesn't mean every time you hear a call to faith, That you have to be saved again, but it does mean that we recommit our lives to Him on a regular basis to refocus on Him, His love for us, not doubting those of us who have been saved, those of us who are Christians, uh, not doubting our faith as much as just refocusing and not taking it for granted, not taking our salvation for granted. Like Peter, who was clean, he needed to be forgiven to have the dust of sin removed from him on a regular basis. And we need that too. If you're clean in the sense of uh, the words Jesus is sharing here, if you are a believer in him, you still need your feet washed daily like I do. And if you're not a believer, there's no time like the present to become clean, to be washed in Jesus' blood and accept him as Lord and Saviour. As we thought on Monday, Thursday, washing feet, metaphorically, is a really good yardstick for knowing whether you just like Jesus or if you love and follow and have accepted Jesus. In this time of isolation and social distancing, however long that might last, there's an opportune moment to reach out, to be washed in the word of the Lord, for our own relationship with God and each other and point others to him and his truth and his humble love. Where no task is below us, we think more highly of others, we focus on the needs of others and we receive as well as give. To his name be the glory, the honor and the praise now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, We thank you for your humble love, true humility. Jesus, that you came, that you lived, died and rose again for us and that we await your return. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will enthuse, lift up, enliven your people and reach out to more that they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and be reconciled with God the Father. Truly, God, you are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.